the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. So 10, 10 whole episodes of Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. I'm Kyle, your host. What up, everyone? This is crazy. I, I, didn't, I didn't think we'd ever get to 10 whole episodes of the show. Now, full disclosure and, and, and complete obviousness to, to everyone listening, there's been more than 10 episodes. I've done many episodes as well, and I plan to continue doing... You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even call them mini-episodes, to be completely honest, because they're... They've gotten to the point now where they are just as long as the regular episodes, so really they're just more like bonus episodes rather than mini-episodes, but either way, semantics aside, this is the 10th official episode of this podcast, which is a milestone, at least a little bit of a milestone for for anybody doing their own show. You know, you you think about doing a show and, and having a pilot and maybe doing an episode or two afterward and thinking, I don't know if I like this all that much anymore. I don't know if anybody's listening or anybody gives a shit or cares. I don't know. But, you know, then you keep going and going and going and, and you reach 10 episodes. You know, you you finally reached into into double digits. And, and, you know, not only have you reached 10 episodes, you've also, you, you look at your download numbers and, you know, you always think, oh, this should be higher than this, should be higher than this. Really, <laughs> for me, what I'm seeing on my my interface, and if you are a follower of mine on Instagram or if you follow our Facebook page, Knowledge from the Couch, you can find that on Facebook. Once in a while, I like to post little screenshots I take either on my phone or screenshots I'll take uh, of the desktop version. You know, showing how many subscribers and how many downloads we have and stuff. And I'm always very proud of those because literally I am not kidding when I say when I first started this show that it was just going to be it, it was just going to be a, a, a nothing thing. You know, it was going to be like, well, here I go. I'm just going to do it to pass the time away or whatever. And and some days it kind of feels like I am just sort of doing it for fun and passing the time. Sometimes it feels like it's a little bit more work than that, but it's still always been a, a good time for me to do so. And I never, ever expected literally more than like my family and maybe my wife and a friend or two to ever listen to the show. But I've, I mean, we're, we're getting close to 800 downloads already at, at 10 episodes, which is, which is amazing in my opinion. I didn't think we'd get anywhere near that far and to, to even demonstrate the reach. Now, 99% of the downloads are from the United States, but we've had downloads from Canada, Germany, India, Japan, and Australia, in addition to the United States downloads. So there are randos out there. And by the way, if you're the person who did that in any of those countries, email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com. I want to know that you're the one listening. I want to know if you have an idea of a person to cover 
from your country or a thing to cover from your country. I would love to, because you know the show, it, it it's very, very United States, you know, very America centric. Because I am almost literally in the middle of the United States, and I was born and raised here. I am American, so obviously there's going to be a little bit of a tilt in that direction. But I I really would love to make it. You know, an international show, so that you know, at least I guess if you can understand English, I can't speak any other, any other languages besides English. But you know, if it's an episode, if if you yourself also can understand English, I would love to talk about someone from your country. I would love to make this an internationally reaching type of show. I would love to tell stories from not just American history, which, by the way, I am most familiar with. So that's why I tend to choose characters usually involved in American history. I would love to tell stories of other people around the world because there there is no shortage of interesting people. Sometimes I sit around thinking, oh, I can't even think of uh, I can't even think of something we're going to do for the next show or you know, I need to plan out this and, and and get five or six or seven or 10 more things, you know, to think about and to talk about and then I remember, oh yeah, the world's goddamn huge and there's always going to be a story to tell. Now, not all the stories are going to be super interesting. Or some will be less interesting than others. But, by the way, interest is much like beauty in the eye of the beholder. So, what is maybe not as interesting to me might be ultra interesting to others and vice versa. So, if you are one of those people from those nations, or if you're just one of my regular listeners and you want to hear a story about something or someone other than someone from American history, hit me up. Let me know about that. I would love to do that. The more stories to tell, the better this podcast will be. Now, today's episode, uh, for episode number 10, we are celebrating girl power a little bit. Now, I look back at my uh, my episode in history, and uh, unfortunately, history sort of is like this, and, and not at the fault of the fact that there are more men than women that have done important things, but by virtue of historically women's sort of place in society, which is usually not been as elevated as, as in my opinion, it should be, there, there are women who have had accomplishments in the past that have been stomped all over by men, or women were not given the opportunity to flaunt their accomplishments because of guys, and, you know, I look at my own lineup, and it's been very dude-centric. So today, in episode 10, a special episode, we are going to talk about a lady and how she was fucking smart and awesome, too. Her name was Hedy Lamar. She was an actress, but beyond being an actress, she was also a genius inventor. And without further ado, let's talk a little bit about Hedy Lamar.
right. Hedy Lamar, born Hedwig Ava Maria Keisler. That's a lot. Of, that's, a, that's a mouthful. Hedy Lamar was born in 1914 on November 9th. So, hey, <laughs> two episodes in a row where I accidentally picked somebody who's really, really close to the day of release. So that's fun. Hedy Lamar was born um, in Austria. So a lot of people remember her as an actress, uh, uh, most famous of course, in American films, but she's actually a, a native European. You'd never be able to tell when you look at her movies that she was European at all. Her American accent is perfect, but there are the reason why she's so interesting is because there are very there are two very marked sides to her story, two really interesting portions of why she's interesting, and, and really there's a third part which is the intro of her life, but it kind of is what catapults her so to speak uh into her film career and then a later portion of her life the two portions are that she was this amazing hollywood like bombshell actress she's a beautiful woman and the reason why she got into hollywood films and doing that was because not only was she a fantastic actress but she was also very beautiful and in the 30s and 40s you know the whole tinsel town hollywood yeah in that time that was sort of the thing you know you 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 cast these these handsome men these these real boisterous types and opposite them you would always cast like a very beautiful woman like uh betty grable uh hedy lamar uh ginger rogers people like that that was kind of the the way studios worked at the time and she was no exception the other portion of her life was that she was like a goddamn genius like it was very uncommon and this is before we get any farther first of all i'm not gonna say oh it's so surprising that she was so smart because she was so pretty that's not the point of this she was very beautiful and by the way she's passed away she passed away in uh, the year 2000 at 85 but she was very beautiful but that doesn't have any bearing on her intelligence, it just tends to surprise a lot of people because at the time, you know, at the time of, of her acting career, at the time of just that portion of society, women just didn't tend to get given the kind of attention to their intelligence that they were probably owed. See the movie Hidden Figures. That one's also not just gender, but race as well. With Eddie Lamar, it wasn't so much about race, but it was certainly about her gender and it, it it's always surprising because those are the kind of things that get buried when you're talking about somebody like her when most people look at Hedy Lamar they go oh yeah she was this this really popular actress you know in the golden age of, of filmmaking and then she just kind of petered off and that was that was it you know she was you know very very beautiful she was in a bunch of good films made a bunch of money did a bunch of things and then just sort of faded into the sunset they never really give her the credit that she's due on her her intelligence on her mental side and that is the other striking portion of her personality she wasn't just like smart she wasn't just like some dumbass who talks into a microphone pretending like he's a smart person she was an actual smart person and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later on in this episode but we first got to be like we always do we got to set up the context for her life. Now, she was born in Austria in 1914. She became famous in Europe, at least, and a little bit in the United States, or you could call it infamous, really, in the United States, when she starred in a film called Ecstasy, 
1933. This is a film made in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time. And she became famous in it because she simulated orgasm during the movie, which at this point was very, hoo-hoo, very taboo. And she was nude in the movie. This is 1933. Now, she's a young girl at this point. She's of legal age, obviously, but she's very young, like 18 or 19 years old. And, you know, she didn't know that she was going to really do the orgasm portion she understood about. But the the nudity portion, she was told during the movie by the director that, you know, it would be kind of off in the distance and nobody would be able to tell anything anyway. And, And then he used like a super telephoto lens and it wasn't that way. So when... She later went on to watch the movie in theaters. She saw herself very close up and got super duper pissed off at the director and stormed out crying. She kind of felt like her entire career because she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to do this sort of artistic thing. She thought her career was dead. She thought she just, you know, she just totally first film out, just tripped up and went and went crazy with that. And so it it sort of led her to to doing sort of, you know, a, a. I don't know if I would call it a crazy thing, but it led her into a marriage uh, with an older guy. Now, she's 18 or 19 at the time, and he's 33. So an older guy, not that much older, but an older guy um, by the name of Friedrich Mandel. Now, after she got done uh, acting in this movie, Ecstasy, she was a stage actress for a while in in this this sort of uh, Austrian and then down into Italy and the, the you know doing the whole European thing and she like i said she was she was very noted for how pretty she was and that was a whole thing like with men back in these days they would just try to i mean i shouldn't say men in these days men now are the same sort of way um or can be you we would hope maybe wouldn't be near so often but especially in these days they were like oh that's a pretty lady i better send her some flowers hey and then Guys would do that all the fucking time. They'd always send flowers to her. They'd always send shit to her in her dressing room. And usually, she was she was a smart woman, by the way. Usually, she knew what everybody was getting at. So she usually just sent away these sort of advances, either sending the gifts away or sending the people in general away. But one guy, Friedrich Mandel, the aforementioned, was really obsessive with her. He was He was really just very insistent. He was really... He was going to make his mark, whether he, you know, had to do whatever he had to do for it. And, you know, while at first being sort of put off by this, she got to talking with him and she fell for what she called his charming and fascinating personality um, because he was he was also a smart dude. Also, he was super rich and she probably figured at this point, well, I fucked up my acting career really bad. Maybe I should marry a rich dude while I have the opportunity. He seems like he's really into me so i guess we're just gonna go do that real quick maybe not the best guy to pick for a first or any marriage really but she did end up getting into it when she got into this marriage she found out that he was in addition to being apparently charming and fascinating personality wise was also kind of a goddamn control freak he was an extremely wealthy man and the reason he was extremely wealthy is because he sold he sold stealth. He sold arms to people. Now, if it's mid 1930s Italy and you're a dude who sells arms to people, um finger to my finger to my forehead, I wonder who you're selling arms to. Could it be Mussolini? It is. Definitely, definitely definitely dictator 
Benito Mussolini of Italy, definitely a benefactor and buddy rubbing elbows with Friedrich Mandel, and oh, oh, another guy by the name of Adolf Hitler, Heyo. So she sits in to these dinner parties that Friedrich Mandel would have because that's what you did when you were a super rich dude trying to sell weapons to guys. You would have dinner parties, and Mandel, knowing that, you know, and seeing that Hedy Lamar was extremely beautiful. He wanted her almost more like as a, one of his hostesses rather than, you know, his wife, although he she was his wife as well. And he would bring her to these parties to sort of show her off, so to speak. Like, hey, look at this extremely attractive woman. I married her. Hey, Mussolini, you bald fucking crazy person. You want to buy a bunch of guns and shit from me? Here we go. And that was sort of the way it was. And during this time, she sat in all these meetings, and it wasn't just with Mussolini. It wasn't just with... Hitler. It was with those guises, uh, science people, her, the, their, their arms people, the people who were talking about development and uh, uh, implementation of military technology. And she learned a great deal. She was already a smart girl. Her father was such a good dad to her up to that point, you know, always uh, when she was a little girl. You know, taking her around the city, taking her around everywhere, pointing out things, showing her stuff, talking to her about things, explaining the way things were. And that coupled with her natural intelligence, she was a really smart gal. And she was a really good, excellent, you know, sort of fly on the wall listener. And she sat in these meetings and she listened and she learned a ton uh, in the fields of applied science. And it really sort of awoken something in her that she would eventually use later on in her life. Now, she realized, uh, you know, in addition to the, all the stuff we've just gone over, that she she absolutely could not stay in this marriage. Now, she's quoted as saying uh, in her autobiography, quote, I knew very soon that I could never be an actress while I was his wife. He was the absolute monarch in his marriage. I was like a doll. I was like a thing, some object of art, which had to be guarded and imprisoned, having no mind or no life of its own, unquote. So these are the trappings obviously of an extremely intelligent and and free-spirited woman who was in the throes of a marriage to a guy who was extremely and utterly controlling and uh, a fascist by the way so she decided to get the fuck out and in true true James Bondy fashion she goes one night she goes to one of the maids of Mandel's now obviously Mandel has maids because he's super rich she goes to a maid she drugs the maid with sleeping pills. Maid goes to sleep. She steals the maid's clothing. Now she looks a lot more plain. She looks a lot more like a member of the staff rather than, you know, the wife of the the lord of the manor. And she sneaks around and eventually escapes out the window. She then makes her way to Paris. Then she makes her way to London. And eventually makes her way across the ocean to New York City, the United States. So she has basically escaped all of Europe super quick because she decided, well, being married to this fascist asshole is not for me. So I need to get the hell out of here and I'm going to head to the United States. So she makes it to America as a uh, as an Austrian, a beautiful Austrian woman. So she is uh, welcomed with open open arms Um. She is a bit concerned later on, though, obviously, during World War II, that she is, you know, basically an enemy foreign alien as Germany comes to control the Austrian region. Obviously, Austria and Germany are very closely related 
anyhow, but that only really just sort of sort of stirs her fervor in terms of of, of her uh, uh, other side of her personality. So anyhow, she makes her way to the United States and then she makes her way across the nation to to sparkly, wonderful, sunny Tinseltown, California, Hollywood land, California. And during that time, she was obviously discovered and started to act, and she was an absolute hit and a sensation right off the bat. Her first American film was made in 1938, a film called Algiers, starring opposite Charles Boyer, and that basically made her a star. Her agent at the time, uh, Louis Mayer, hoped that this film would sort of propel her to national publicity, and it ended up you know, ended up doing that. He thought that, or he hoped, I should say, that she would become another Greta Garbo or Marlene Dietrich. And uh, according to a viewer of the movie, Algiers at the time, when her face first appeared on the screen, everyone gasped because Lamar's beauty literally took their breath away. So you can see kind of she's getting the same sort of response as she was getting when she was acting and appearing in films in Europe. Uh, ecstasy was received very negatively in the United States because of our extremely Puritan values, but it seems like it only takes about five or six years, even at that time, to forget about that sort of thing with her. She would go on to star in a ton of films opposite a ton of popular people, most notably Clark Gable, Robert Young, and alongside Lana Turner and Judy Garland. She starred in such films such as Boomtown, Comrade X, White Cargo, Tortilla Flat, H.M. Poem Esquire, and Dishonored Lady, Siegfried Girl, and Samson and Delilah in 1945, one of her one of her biggest hits uh, after leaving the MGM Grand Studios 1945. 1949, the film opposite Victor Mature, it was, like I said, Samson and Delilah, uh, one of the very first color films as well. Probably not, not the first color film, but a lot of her previous films were filmed in black and white, and this is the time when color film was starting to fully take hold of the industry, and at least on the face of it, she benefited greatly. Obviously, she made a bunch of money um, with the big contracts with all these films, and it did her really well in her career. The trouble was, again, we always come back to this, she was this incredibly intelligent woman, and she was typically giving parts in movies, especially at this time, when women usually weren't given parts that showed their strength and their ingenuity and their intelligence, you know, and their broad acting range. Typically at this time, you know, a pretty face meant that you didn't say much and you were just pretty on camera. And this really got her down. She really wanted a lot more to do. She liked to act. She loved to act, but she wanted to really go after it but she was continually not given parts that that suited her her intelligence and suited her ability to act so she got bored and because she was bored she used that brain of hers to tiktok around and start inventing things and that my friends is when we enter part 2 or the other half of her interesting story the story of not Hedy Lamar the actress but Hedy Lamar, the inventor? That's right. Hedy Lamar was always tinkering around with stuff, trying to figure out how things worked. She was she was a, a scientist at heart. And 
the the big thing that she's remembered for, and the funny part is, like I was talking about, she didn't really get remembered for this sort of thing till many, many, many years, closer to our time than any time down the road for this sort of thing. But at the time, in 1942, she was talking to a guy, a composer and a pianist named George Antiel. Now, George Antiel and her got to talking because he was in the business as well. He was in the Hollywood scene doing stuff, composing music, making it happen. And he was also sort of an inventor himself. He gets talking to Hedy Lamar about, she was talking something about how she could enhance some part of like her upper chest or some, some sort of, who knows, that's the story at least. But as all good stories go, you start talking about breasts or whatever, and eventually you start talking about torpedoes namely torpedoes that come out of submarines that sink ships. Now, at the time, obviously, torpedoes were were a very deadly sort of thing, but they were only really deadly because submarines could be very stealthy, could be very difficult to detect, and if you got the drop on a ship, you could really fuck them up. You could really do some damage. I mean, German U-boats weren't extremely notorious for this for no good reason but with the advent of things like radar and the things like radio frequency you know knowledge at this time it was becoming easier and easier for uh for ships for destroyers for battleships for for all any type of vessel to jam a radio frequency from a torpedo which would use radar to find its way to a ship jam the frequency of this torpedo and render that torpedo completely and utterly moot, basically making the submarine completely worthless for anything beyond reconnaissance. And you didn't want that because submarines were, like I said, they were fantastic for reconnaissance, but you want them to be a force multiplier, if at all possible. And you jam radio frequency, you get rid of that force multiplying capability. Now, Hedy Lamar. It gets her brain chugging along, chug, chug, chugging along. Like I said before, she heard a lot of conversations about war and weaponry from her former husband and all the goons that he would have around his table with her. And she started to think, huh, you know, I think it would be a really cool idea if we could somehow, somehow randomize or jump or skip around with radio frequencies and make it something where they were never on one specific radio frequency for more than, you know, a small amount of time. Uh, there would be something that would have to sync up with it, but it would, would constantly switch radio frequencies and make these torpedoes extremely unjammable and therefore extremely deadly again. You know, and, and here's the thing. She was extremely pro-American. She had made her money. She had made her fame. She had been given, you know, this sort of new life and new career where she wasn't bogged down at the same time by a a fascist husband in the United States. And she was very uh, sympathetic to the Allied war cause during World War II. And she wanted to do everything in her power, you know, whatever she could do to help out the war cause. So she's talking to George Antiel about this sort of idea, but she can't quite wrap her head 
around how to implement this sort of idea because even though she's incredibly intelligent, she's not a 100% trained you know, scientist. She didn't go to college. She didn't do those things that would train her in specific areas where she could you know, build something from scratch, so to speak. But she had a curious mind, an extremely you know, effective ability to view outside the box. And so her and George Antiel, uh, 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 an intelligent guy in his own right, and an inventor in his own right, uh, submitted a patent. And you can actually go find this patent. I did during research for this episode. The patent number is 2292387A, and it is a U.S. patent called Secret Communication System. That's that's the name of the patent. Uh, it was invented by George Antiel and Hedy Kiesler Markey. That was what she uh, submitted as her name for this appeal. Now, my engineering friends, and I know that I have at least a couple, two or three extremely intelligent engineering people listening to this podcast who are way smarter than me, go look at this. It's it's really an interesting thing. You, you can look at the images that they submitted, the figures they submitted um, for their system of, of, you know, this sort of what they called their secret communication system. These days, the 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 technology is is more commonly known as a spread spectrum technology or a frequency hopping technology. Now we'll get into why that's important in a sec, but they submit this patent in 1942, and the big idea behind it was that George and Teal, the guy that she was friends with, her sort of partner in this invention game was an extremely good piano player. And the piano sort of became this 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 thing that would bridge the gap of what her idea about frequency hopping would be into something that could be implemented into something like a torpedo. So if you look at um, back at this time, like a self-playing piano, and you see it these days too, more in electronic versions, but those those big sheets of paper, with the lines on them and stuff, like as the as the sheet of paper goes like fed into the piano, like the keys will depress based on where the lines and how long the lines are and stuff like that to play a song. They use the concept of that to sort of uh, a feed, and this is literally my stupid, dumb, lame, layman ass trying to explain what is already a concept that's almost too complicated for me to really understand to you guys. So if I sound stupid or mistake-ridden, sorry. Fucking sue me, I guess. I don't know. My smart listeners, I'm so sorry. Go look at the patent. Read about her yourself. You will be amazed. But anyhow, they figured that they could use this sort of piano as an analog to something that would hop frequencies. Now, it's an extremely intelligent, uh, fantastic idea. In 1942, it was, was patented under that number. They presented it to the United States Navy. The United States Navy laughed them out of the room, mostly because they also were a lot like my dumbass and couldn't really understand how exactly it was going to be implemented. And probably also because at this point, it's it's August of 1942. We're getting close to 1943. This is uh, uh, the point now. The United States has been in the war for nearly a year now, and things were already starting to turn in the United States' favor. The war in the Pacific was still sort of a stalemate, but you could tell that things were were changing. Um, 
Italy was already getting fucked up at this point. Germany was still fairly strong doing what they were doing, but Italy was already starting to struggle. You know, the war in North Africa was going the correct way for the Allies. Um, The Soviet Union is doing their whole thing on the Eastern Front. All the Allied powers are starting to get back into it on the Western Front. And then, to me, these, these naval officers probably just said, well, it's too complicated for us to to really try to implement this sort of thing. We're doing fine the way they are. Thank you, beautiful Hedy Lamar and weirdo George Antiel for your idea. Uh, that's a no from us, dog. We're out of here. And so that's that, right? Not quite. In the 1960s, about 20 years later, that same U.S. Navy that decided not to implement any of that technology decided that it was a really good idea to implement that technology now against missiles, particularly missiles in Cuba. And if you think, wow, missiles in Cuba, 1962, I wonder what's going on there. It's the Cuban Missile Crisis, a really ridiculous thing that maybe we'll talk about in a future episode because it's its its own humongously ridiculous story. Like, there are so many times where this Earth could have been launched into just nuclear annihilation during those times in the 1960s. That's it's it's ridiculous, and in that time, the Navy starts to use ideas and updates from that same exact patent, that same exact frequency hopping technology. Because now it's 20 years later from 1942, radio technology has advanced significantly that they could implement it in an actual like pretty reasonable, you know, useful way. So, Hedy Lamar's crazy idea about hopping frequencies her it, it, it's so funny when i when i think about it, it it's like i'm such a big fan of star trek and in star trek nerd alert by the way um at 20 ish minutes into the podcast nerd alert if you don't want to listen to this part just skip ahead two minutes but real quick in star trek there's a villain race named the borg they're a bunch of cybernetic human not human cybernetic beings different alien races uh, augmented with technology and a hive mind going around assimilating people. And the big part about their thing is that they adapt very quickly to people's shields and guns and, you know, phasers and all that shit. That is sort of a form of frequency hopping. You eventually, you know, they do that. And then the typically the, the, the Federation or whatever species is fighting against these Borg will use their own version of frequency hopping to change, you know, the settings on this to to get unjammed, and then the Borg will frequency hop to rejam and so on and so forth. Anyway, uh unnerd alert. That's what it makes that's what it makes me think of every time that I see this. And it's amazing because that's stuff that, you know, is 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 real technology used even up to this day and technology that was written about in a futuristic science fiction way all coming from the head of this Hollywood actress in the 1940s and not only was it implemented in the 60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis you can thank Hedy Lamar if you are a person who uses Wi-Fi or a person who uses Bluetooth and that fucking crazy that's insane like people just don't realize that these ideas have feet in the past and that technology builds on itself over time and that ideas eventually become you know 
built upon ideas that become the things that we use every day. An idea about frequency hopping to make torpedoes an unjammable deadly weapon eventually become the things that I personally and a lot of people I know use every single day. My phone is hooked up to Wi-Fi whenever I can. And a lot of people I know, that's the same exact thing for them. Their phones are hooked up to Wi-Fi every time they can be. And a lot of people use Bluetooth stuff. I have a Fitbit uh, 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 wrist-bound watch. That thing is hooked up by Bluetooth. I hook up a pair of Bluetooth headphones when I go and work out at the gym. I have a Bluetooth uh, transmitter in my car because my car is too old to have actual regular Bluetooth itself in there. So I use that to hook my phone up to my car and listen to my other podcasts uh, in addition to this one sometimes just so I can make sure it doesn't sound like complete garbage and that people are getting a good listening experience. But anyhow, that's stuff that we, not just a couple people, not just the military, not just you know a specific industry, but literally everybody uses every single day were because of the idea of spectrum spread and frequency hopping made in part by Hedy Lamar. It's it's amazing. It's 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 the craziest thing. I I and I almost feel bad because I myself did not know this story until probably about a month ago and I felt so dumb. I was like, I can't believe that this shit that is so taken for granted today was invented by this really extremely famous Hollywood actress to had this, you know, completely other side to her like oh hey i'm i'm beautiful i'm in all these movies i'm like ultra famous oh by the way i'm also like extremely smart i think of all this crazy shit and look at my patent which you can all go look at by the way just google it and here it is literally freaking everybody in a developed country is using bluetooth and wi-fi all the time you can thank you can thank hedy lamar for that and you know with all those contributions it makes me it makes me really sad, and I feel like I have to to bring closure to her story. It really wasn't a very happily ever after story for Hedy Lamar, and I think that that's a huge reason why a lot of people, including myself until very recently, didn't really know what she contributed to our society. Um, over time, she became a really big recluse. Like She just didn't feel like she got along with a lot of people, that she could be around a lot of people, and eventually just started to slowly but surely sink away from the limelight over and over again. She would a couple of times get caught for shoplifting. She eventually had a bunch of plastic surgery done on herself in the 70s and the 80s in an attempt to to preserve, I suppose you could say, at least in her mind, the beauty that she had back in the 30s and 40s. Um, it's unfortunate that that she felt that, that she had to go through something like that, but she did feel that way, and she did go through those surgeries. And unfortunately, if you go search for pictures, and she agreed as well, it did not go as well as she wanted it to go, and it made her even more of her clues. In fact, in the later decades of her life, she really only ever talked to people on the phone. It's said here that she used to talk six or seven hours a day on the phone, but that's all she would do. Hardly anybody ever really went and saw her. 
she became estranged from a lot of her children. She was married and divorced six times in her life. And eventually in the year 2000, she died from heart failure. It's it's a really sad kind of snuffing of, of a beautiful and brilliant candle that existed for a long time in her life. And I, I hate to have to end her story that way, but I feel like it's necessary because despite being this absolutely talented, wonderful woman with uh, with a mind like a diamond, as Cake would say, she had her problems too. She had her issues with dealing with people and her issues with society, and it led to a really unceremonious you know, end of life. And this happens to a lot of people. I think it's important to understand that. And it's important, I think, just as, a, as an overall moral of the story, you know, if you have ideas, if you have things going on in your head, if you're having issues, it, you know, it's okay to get out there and do what you need to do to get yourself heard, you know, and if you're having difficulty with those sort of things, it's it's a it's a good thing to go out and, and try your best to get your stuff out there because if not it will only eat you up slowly but surely over your life like it ate up Hedy Lamar, a, a brilliant and beautiful actress and inventor that sort of got eaten up by by a, a hard crazy you know first half of her life so yeah that's the story of of our lady Hedy Lamar, Ms. Wi-Fi as I like to call her and now that that story took a depressing sort of end to it Let's just talk about something completely and utterly random and hit it with a non sequitur fact of the day, week, month, or even your year. I don't know. Did you know that there is a set of twins born in the United Kingdom? Set of twins born 87 days apart. Holy crap. 87 days. The first twin was born premature at 24 weeks. After that twin was born, um, a crazy medical thing happened where the mother just, her uterus stopped contracting. And even though they tried to induce birth and get the other twin out, it didn't work. And she held on to the baby until 87 days later, well, where that second twin was born naturally. And they're both just still kicking in alive these days. That's a... that's a pretty interesting. That's a pretty interesting fact, I would say. Guys, thank you so so much for listening. I, I I end these podcasts with with a thousand thanks, hauled upon thousands of people. Not really thousands, but many of my thanks towards everybody listening. It is such a fun thing to do 10 whole episodes and plus the bonus stuff and hopefully hopefully many more to come you can find me at kyle steinhauser on twitter kyle f steinhauser on instagram you can follow the show on facebook just search knowledge from the couch we're all hanging out there i basically post the same stuff i post to my personal account but hey it's a place to uh place to be as well you can find the show anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, all the good ones, all the hits. If you like the show and you think it's worth listening to, please tell somebody about it. I would love for them to listen to it as well. That's literally where all my traffic comes from is through word of mouth. And the people who are hawking for me right now, 
I can't say I can't say enough nice things about it, you guys. It's 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 amazing that you guys think it's worth you know advertising to others about uh it, it it's amazing. I'm I'm so happy that people are, are tuning in and listening and you know, if not for anything else than just to get an interesting story about somebody and that way you have a little extra knowledge from my couch to yours. So until next week, guys, where we start on a whole new set of 10. Until that time, guys, thanks for listening. Someone like you, someone like you. I want you to know me, because I know then you'll see. We can be true, we can be true. I want you to see what I see in us. Something so real, something so real I want you to see that this is a love That we both feel, that we both feel And how will we ever know if the love will ever grow Without trying, without trying And how will we ever see if we are meant to be It's terrifying, it's terrifying It's a losing game, it's a losing game.